So Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26 down to verse 7 of chapter 4. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Through Christ. The grass does wither and the flower fades. But God's holy, inerrant word, it abides forever. May He bless it to us. Well, we are doing a study on the nature of the church. What it is and and how God has established her as uh, the bride of Christ. And this is our ninth message and we come to another nature of the church that I have been saving for this particular day knowing that it was coming. And that is understanding that the church is God's family. That when we are united to Christ and when we become children of God, children of the Heavenly Father, we become a family. We are joined to the family of God. Uh, Paul used this language replete in his letters. In this uh, very letter, in chapter 6, he calls the church the household of faith. A household. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Timothy 3, he references the church as the household of God. Not just a household of faith, but the household of God. In Ephesians 3.15, as he is praying, he uses very directly the word family, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. We're a family. And and while we read here in Galatians 3, our current text that we're looking at, while this text is concerned with the whole theme of Galatians, Paul is addressing it with a reason. The, The theme of Galatians is dealing with the true nature of salvation. Not necessarily with the family of God. But in dealing with the true nature of salvation, how we are justified. 
And by that word justified, we mean how are we pardoned of all our sins and accepted as righteous by the holy God of heaven. And we understand that justifying grace of God is only gained by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith in the One who offered Himself up as that perfect sacrifice for all our sins in our place. And so by His death and resurrection, He has accomplished the salvation that is necessary for us and the means by which we receive that saving grace of God is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way can we be saved but through faith in Christ. And and that is the theme of Galatians. And Paul has even made the statement that if you hear anyone teaching any other gospel than that, let them be anathema. If anyone comes and says to you, look, it's not about your sins, it's not about needing atonement, it's not about how God accepts you, just believe in Christ and do your best. Isn't that the most common message that is preached in the name of Christianity in so many places today? That's another gospel. If somebody says you don't need to worry about death, God loves everyone. And eventually, everyone's going to find their way to heaven. My friends, that's another gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a gospel of man. And so that's the overarching theme of this letter. But within it, Paul is dealing with what it means to be a family. You can't ignore here the family imagery in this particular text. He speaks about being sons of God. He speaks about adoption, about inheritance, about belonging to Abraham's seed. It's about the family. And he does this because that itself was was a, a polluted effect of the bad gospels that were being proclaimed in the Galatian churches. And people were, were, were looking at who someone was and, and making them second class citizens within the church because they didn't follow a particular structure that was found in Israel of old in order to be right with God. They weren't looking to Christ. And in that proclamation of a false gospel, it affected how they regarded one another in the church. And that's why he says in verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The church is God's family. Jesus Himself made reference to this very issue in Matthew 12. Now, Jesus was being deemed by many, including His mother and His siblings. He had several brothers and sisters. Uh, it was a larger family than what we expect. But Jesus had, well, you might say half-brothers and sisters, but they accounted them all as a family of Joseph and Mary. 
And, and in the course of his ministry, people thought Jesus was going crazy by the way that he was presenting himself as the Son of God and the Savior, the Messiah, come into the world. And at one point, his mother and his brothers and had come to him to try to bring him back home and bring him to his senses. And somebody came to him and said, Jesus, uh, your family, your mother, your brothers, they're outside and they want you to go with them. And you remember what Jesus said, Matthew twelve fifty. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And and, and immediately Jesus looks at the context of family to define what the church is. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. And what is that will of the Father in heaven? That you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That you acknowledge Him as the Son of God and alone the Savior of His people. That is the will of the Father. And Jesus says, whoever does the will of My Father in heaven is My brother and sister and mother. Now in that day, Jesus saying those things, that, that's borderline rude. <laughs> that would be like one of your own children saying, well really, yeah, she's my biological mother, but I have other mothers. <laughs> you know, that, that would have been offensive. But we know Jesus never sinned. And He was not being rude. And in a culture where family was everything, And Jesus understood that culture. I mean, even in His death, what was one of the great sayings of Christ on the cross when His mother was there before the cross weeping as her son died? (laughs) He understood as the firstborn, I need to care for my mother. And, And in caring for His mother, He committed her to the care of probably His youngest, disciple, the Apostle John, (laughs) you might think, why didn't the other brother step up? But again, even in that act, Jesus was making a point, a defining point about who His true and eternal family was because at that particular point, none of His siblings believed He was the Son of God. None of His siblings were following Him as the only Savior, the Messiah who had come. It wasn't until after He rose from the dead and He appeared to James, and Paul speaks of that, that that James' own life was turned around in the resurrection. And when we understand the church as the true and eternal family of God... It, it, it brings this understanding of love and nurture and affection because even here on earth, whom do you love the most? <laughs> of all of the people that you know, your family included, normally it is our immediate family. They are the ones who receive the most of our affection and care. And Christ was clear to make that point. His love, His affection was directed most intimately to His treasured people. 
Christ loves the church. And you know, one of the most amazing things to be able to declare, He he loves the church because this is His family. We know, and we're going to hear uh, in a couple weeks, it's also His bride. But He considers us His family. And while you know those sayings, while we might say in some of our earthly settings, you can choose your friends, but you can't what? (laughs) Choose your family. We also hear blood is thicker than water. We sometimes struggle to love Christ's church. We often struggle to love one another within the church. It's hard. You know what it's like. It's one of the neat things about living and growing up in a family is that you get to see everyone's fault. And as much as we love one another, conflict arises... And we know sometimes how we present ourselves outside of the context of the family to others and we can make it look like we're a family that has it all together. In truth, no family has it all together. Some do a little bit better than others, but we struggle. And that same aspect comes into the church. As we regard one another as family and the household of God and all of us belonging to it, my friends, it can be one of those sentiments where, boy, I can choose my friends, but family, (laughs) we're stuck with it. (laughs) And it's at that point, isn't isn't it so? And isn't it amazing to know that Christ loves His church? He loves His church more than all of us together. And that's a truth. And He loves His church because it's His family. And my friends, I hope you see that with the, with the church. The congregation that you belong to. And that in Christ, we have that regard for one another as family. That's what we are. And, and three things really stand out for us in this text. And the first one we see in verse 26 and 27, that in Christ, the emphasis here is on that word all. Actually, that phrase, all sons of God. In Christ, we are all God's children. That's where it begins. Acknowledging that when you look at one another, before you start looking at attitudes and perspectives and where they differ from you and, and, and uh, how faithful they are or how much faith they appear to have. If they are in Christ, first and foremost we look and we say, they're all God's children. And that's where it begins. And I know the, the uh, actual Greek uses the word sons. Uh, that word is used because it's that association with Christ as the Son of God. And we are all sons. But that, that word is inclusive of all, male and female, as you'll see in verse 28. It's inclusive of everyone who is in Christ. And, and how is it that we become God's children? And Paul directs us there. 
In Christ we are all God's children through faith and by baptism. Through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. This this changes not just our standing with God, but it changes our own thoughts. When we recognize we are all God's children, it immediately affects how we think of God. We understand that God is universally the Creator of all people. And we understand that God as Creator and Sovereign over all of creation, that He is acclaimed the Judge of all of the earth. Why do I address that? Because in the previous verses of this chapter, and just continuing to back up into chapter 2, Paul has been speaking about how God is the judge and how He judges all people in accordance with His law. And how God does indeed look upon the whole of the earth in regard of all of mankind and He is able as the judge of all the earth in accordance with His law, He is able to say, you are all sinners. Every one of you. There's not one of you who hasn't broken all of God's commandments, let alone just one. What does it mean to fall short of God's glory? What does it mean to be called a sinner? It means to be called one who has transgressed, broken the law of God. And in Adam, we are all failures. All have sinned. And God's law judges all of us and condemns us as sinners. But what Paul gets at here, and and understand, he's not speaking just to Jews here, but he is speaking of Jews who come along and say, you don't have to worry about that designation because if you were born of Abraham, God loves you anyways. And he's coming here to say, no, we're all under the law and condemned by it. How is it that we become God's children? How is it that we become sons of God? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Now in Christ, you see God is no longer your judge ready to condemn and imprison you. No, through faith in Christ, we recognize He has freed us from the tyranny of sin. He has borne the condemnation that we deserve. He has taken it away. And death is no longer a tyrant over us. It's no longer a curse and judgment over us. Christ has borne that all away. And by faith in Christ, God is no longer a judge. He's a Father. He's our Father. God isn't the one who has changed. God is the one who has changed us. And our standing before Him In Christ. And as our Father in Christ, He has forgiven and accepted us. We are now His children. As He goes on in in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 to say, "We, we have received adoption. The Spirit of God coming upon us and confirming in our hearts that by faith in Christ, You're now a child of God. He's your Father. Isn't that marvelous? The Apostle John really grabbed hold of that. 
He said in John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as received Christ, it is to them He gave the authority to become children of God to those who believe in His name. How simple is that? Many of you know we adopted three children. One of them is here with us. Boy, the process. <laughs> the paperwork. The time. And what it is to be able to not just bring someone into your home, but to change their standing in that home. To be part of that family. With God, believe on the name of Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And you will be granted that authority to be His child. And we understand that it's not what we have done. We understand it's what Christ has done in our place. And the the only way, we, we, we can't work for that. We can't go out and say, okay, God, I'm going to read your Bible more. I'm going to pray to you more. I'm going to do all of these things more. And, and then, then you'll, you'll receive me and you'll accept me and you'll love me. No, it doesn't work that way. What God has said to us is, I've already loved you <laughs> from eternity. I gave you to My Son. And from eternity, I planned for My Son to come and to die in your place because I love you. Isn't that amazing? And John grabbed hold of that. He said, how amazing it is. Behold, what manner of love the Father has what? Bestowed upon us. We have not strived to gain it. It's been bestowed that we should be called the children of God. And how do we receive that? It's a gift given. And what do you do when somebody comes and says, I have this gift for you? You reach out your hands and you take it and you say what? Thank you. (laughs) Being in Christ. That's what it is. Believing in Him. And by that, through faith, we are all God's children. And we have been baptized into Christ. Here again, Paul uh, takes it to say, here's the seal of that truth upon your life. How do you know you are a child of God? And it is right and just to say, because I've been baptized into Christ. I've been baptized into Christ. Now Paul here is not speaking simply of water baptism itself. He is speaking about the reality to what we just saw for Tamara and for Bethany. He's speaking to the reality that it points to. That God will come in His Son and He will wash you clean. And He will place upon you A righteousness that is not of your own. A righteousness that Christ accomplished. It will become your new garments of holiness in His presence. The real baptism 
is about what the Holy Spirit who fills us and who unites us to all that Christ did for our salvation. Everything Christ accomplished, His obedience, His righteousness, His suffering, His death, His resurrection, His glory, His loving union with the Father in heaven. These are all ours into Christ. And baptism brings all of that upon us. And it is God who changes the state of our being before Him. You think about the the story of the prodigal son. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with that parable. But you remember that prodigal son as he came to his senses. He realized how much he had sinned before his father. And, and the, the, the coming to his senses brought about that humility of repentance in his heart. But when he was coming back to his father, what was it that was bringing him back to his father? A thinking that, you know what? The servants in my father's house had it better than I have it now. I'll go back and be his servant. I'll say to him, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Is that how God regards us? We heard the Ten Commandments. Is God a God that stands back and looks at us and says, you're not doing enough? You're not obeying me enough? We get that sometimes in our homes, don't we, parents? I told you once, I told you a thousand times, why can't you obey me? And even we as adults have heard that from our parents too. Why? Because our inclination is not toward obedience. It's a hard thing. And so this prodigal son is saying, I'll go back and I'll just be one of his servants. But the father sees him coming and what does he say? What does he do? He, he runs out to him to bring him into his home. And the son begins to say to his father, he says, Father, I've sinned against you, uh, against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father say? Stop! <laughs> you are my son! <laughs> And if you don't believe it, I will demonstrate before everyone that you are my son. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a signet on his finger that that says he's the son of this household. Give him new sandals. Friends, that's what your baptism does. It's the Father saying, bring out the best robes of righteousness, my son's righteousness. Put it upon Him. The signet of baptism. You are now a child of God. Isn't that marvelous? You know the thing about your baptism. How many of you still see your baptism? How many of you don't even remember your baptism? Children, most of you were baptized as infants and you're probably sitting there. You say, I don't remember my baptism. But you know the nice thing about your baptism? We don't see it. But who does? God Himself. Every time we see it as a sacrament applied to someone else, we should be thinking, God, you still see my baptism. Thanks be to you. You see your name upon me. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's on me. This is God saying to us, you are my child. And the Spirit confirms it to our hearts. 
to be baptized in Jesus' name is to have, is to put on, as he says here, Christ. Have you put on Christ? Our time has flown away, and uh, I'll just very quickly give you the other two points there. Maybe I'll pick them up at another. I think that emphasizes the truth of being a family. And that's where it brings Paul along to say in verse 28, don't look at one another as Jews and Greeks. Don't look at one another as slaves or free. Don't look at one another as male or female. In their culture, the issues of race, rank, and gender were very significant. They still are today. Don't be deceived. And by gender, only two genders, male and female. Every culture has a caste system. But what does he say? There's none of this. For you are all what? You are all one in Christ Jesus. Can you acknowledge that? Despite the backgrounds that we come from, despite the godless backgrounds that we come from, some of you have been well nurtured in Christian homes, but some of us here, I dare to say maybe even 50% of us here, weren't. But we're all one in Christ. We share an equality before the cross that makes us resistant, or it ought to, make us resistant to the temptation to despise, to patronize, or to deem as second-class citizens children of God. None of you, if you are in Christ, there's not one of you who's a second-class Christian. You're one with us. And the last point there in verse 29, that in Christ we are Abraham's seed. And that means because we are Abraham's seed, we all together have the same inheritance in Christ. Didn't tell my wife I was going to use this illustration, but I probably should have. She received an inheritance one time. She didn't receive the same inheritance that others in the family got. It's because there wasn't much left after the others took it. We can look at inheritances that way and recognize that they're not always just in their administrations, are they? How many families divide and never speak to one another because of inheritances. We read about it. And the more there is to split and divide, the more division there is in the family. This is no different. If you go back to the story of the prodigal son, wasn't that the same issue? The elder son who had twice the inheritance of his younger brother complained and said, Father, you never gave me anything. And what did the father say to him? (laughs) All that I have is yours. (laughs) But we can become blind because we can look at the younger brother in the church and say, oh, look at them. Do you know how many times I as a pastor have people come to me and say, you know what? I'm not as good a Christian as so-and-so. I don't have the same knowledge. I don't even dress appropriately sometimes. People are very self-conscious about things that make them different. And we are, on the other side too, very self-conscious of where some people come from. 
And it can make us be standoffish. Or it can make us be self-deprecating. Not in a good way. Paul comes here and he says to both the Jews and the Gentiles who were squabbling, to the rich who were despising their slaves, to men who wanted to lord over women. Do you not understand that not only are you all sons of God in Christ and that you are all one in Christ, but that you all have the same inheritance in Christ. We all together share in the same Spirit, the same gift of eternal life, the same hope of beholding our God, the same grace of righteousness and perfection in Christ, the same glory of eternal communion with God our Father. There is no difference. My friends, in these ways, we are a family. (laughs) A household of faith in Christ. The household of God. Let us so love one another in Christ. And let us cherish what it is to so belong to His church. Let's pray.